Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome back to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. I think my voice just cracked there uh, like one of the Brady kids. Sorry about that. But uh, episode 11 here, Island Ice podcast. I am your host, Andrew Gross of Newsday. You can find me on Twitter at agrossnewsday. You can find all that I write and think and you know, all that kind of good stuff on our Newsday website, newsday.com backslash sports. And if you click on the Islanders uh, uh, tab, you will find everything there. Hopefully, I believe we have a a good show for you this week. Um, Another on-the-road episode currently in Florida. The Islanders just beat the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning for the second time this season. Last night was a... uh, 5-1 5-1 win in Tampa. Uh, they beat them earlier this season 5-2 in, uh, at Nassau Coliseum. The key, both games kept uh, the Lightning's pretty lethal power play at, at bay. 3-for-3 uh, three three penalty kill uh, here in Tampa. And also uh, really, really solid goaltending from Semyon Varlamov. Uh, next game is not until Thursday night. They wrap up this uh, latest road trip with a uh, game against the Panthers in Sunrise, which is funny because the sun will have set. Sorry about that. It's early in the morning, a little tired. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it, it's uh, the Islanders last night was one of their really, really good games. Uh, a lot of good stuff you saw out of it. And, uh, you know, maybe been a little bit, up and down uh, at this point, uh, you know you can uh, <laughs> you can meld your stats however you want to look for trends. I remember the old peanuts streak where uh, a strip where Lucy was trying to explain to Charlie Brown just how miserable the baseball team was, and uh, uh, Charlie Brown finally tells Lucy, uh, "You know what, Lucy? Tell your statistics to shut up." Um, I've heard that a lot in my career, and I, I, I think it's funny because, like I said, you can you can kind of bend statistics any which way you want to kind of make your point. For instance, so the, the, the Islanders beat the Lightning uh, 5-1 last night, so that leaves them 1-1 one one on this road trip after a 3-1 loss at Dallas. Also leaves them, they've, they've won two of three, if you include the uh, really solid 3-2 overtime win over Vegas before the road trip started. Uh, they've won four of six. Um, that includes wins over Columbus and Detroit and a really bad loss up in Montreal. And to be honest, not a great win at Detroit, uh, even though they won 4-1. And, and, but at the same time, they're 4-4-0 since their 15-0-2 streak. Ends, and that's kind of, you know, the very definition of uh, playing it right down the middle and not getting any traction. So again, you know, any which way you want to look at this. Uh, the schedule, they've been on the road a lot. Uh, 10 to 13 on the road, like I said, down in Florida right now. Three-game trip uh, follows up that California swing. There was also the Detroit-Montreal swing. Um, you know, I know Eastern teams have it much, much easier than... Uh, the West Coast teams or teams in the Western Conference in terms of travel. And uh, the players always kind of get a little sheepish when they're asked about, you know, the quote-unquote grueling travel schedule because, you know, they know what grueling travel is in the NHL and they know the uh, the Islanders and the Rangers and, you know, the Flyers, any of these East Coast teams, Boston. It, it, this is not grueling travel. But this one section, there have been a lot of late nights, uh, a lot of getting into towns late. You see Barry Trotz pulling back on the practices a little bit um, just to kind of get more rest into the uh, rest and recovery cycle. I think it's a smart move. Islanders, you know, at this point of the season... Uh, you know, I know coaches like practicing, uh, I know they like implementing stuff, but there's a lot of stuff they can do through, uh, video work and meetings and, uh, you know, get them out for the morning skate. If you give them a practice, a day off from practice the night before. And, uh, I was talking to Brock Nelson about that and he said, usually that'll, you know, that goes a long way. The day off is oftentimes more, 
beneficial than than getting out for a 40-minute practice. Uh, sometimes necessary, oftentimes at this point in the season, the body really just needs rest. Um, so I, I got into it, um, just a little preview on the show. We uh, In Dallas, I did uh, catch up with uh, Blake Como, uh, former Islander, now with the Dallas Stars, uh, one of the you hear this a lot. One of the good guys in the league um, had a had a fun chat with him. You know, uh, touching on a, a bunch of different stuff, including how his career with the Islanders ended and uh, what that meant for the rest of his career. So, uh, chat with Blake Como. Got a little sound from Barry Trotz coming up very shortly uh, about two of the players who were back in the lineup uh, against uh, the Lightning and rookie defenseman. Uh, Noah Dobson and Michael Dalcal uh, at, at up front. Uh, so a little sound from Barry. Um, you know, as you know, one of the the, the the reason that Noah Dobson was in the lineup was because Nick Letty is out, and as of right now, we we don't really kind of know the severity of it. Uh, the Islanders are calling it day by day. Certainly looked very bad as he hobbled to the bench. I, I, as I watched him go to the bench uh, late in the third period at Dallas, uh, did not see him able to put weight on his left skate. Um, you know, sometimes those are temporary things. Uh, he did not uh, participate in the morning skate uh, in Tampa and obviously didn't play in the game. Uh, and then they, the Islanders have another off day, so uh, it'll probably be, uh, what's today? Today's Tuesday, so probably be Wednesday uh, when they practice before we get even a sense a little bit of where Nick Letty is. For now, Noah Dobson in the lineup. He did not play much uh, against the Lightning. He, it was a season low, eight minutes and change. Um, and Barry Trotz um, and the coaching staff went to mixing and matching the D-men almost immediately in the first period and, and really spotting Noah in. He did get a little bit of power play time, um, but really, you know, Barry kind of went into that game leaning on five defensemen and using Noah Dobson when necessary. And that's uh, part of, uh, you know, where we are with the Islanders and what I wanted to talk about, which just is settling this lineup. You know, Barry spoke and I talked to him about the rest and recovery. And he said one of the important things when you get into a stretch like this is being able to roll the four lines. And, uh, it, you know, conversely, that also I'm sure he means that means being able to roll three defense lines and not overtax anyone. And, you know, if Noah's going to get eight minutes, that means that that's a lot more minutes for guys like Pelican Pulak and, you know, Johnny Boychuk and, uh, um, you know, Taze and Mayfield, their minutes go up. I, I think he'll rely on Pelican Pulak most in terms of uh, upping the minutes. But, you know, everything has a tax to it. If those guys' minutes go up now, that's probably more rest they're going to need later on. But... The other, the other issue um, is settling into these uh, a four-line rotation and just where to go with that. And uh, so uh, I'm going to call this episode the line episode because I tried to put on my coach's cap and I, I tried to come up with lines that I thought would be optimal for the, for the Islanders and... Uh, You'll see if you agree with me, and 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 going through it, I I came to that the, the the same conclusion that I think a lot of fans have is that there there seems to be just one little hole in the lineup where where they need more consistency and they need more scoring, and and the pieces just don't fit perfectly yet. So here's where where I went. And uh, you'll see if you agree with my reasoning. Uh, obviously, you, I, I'm, I'm starting with the premise that Derek Broussard should be a center as well as he's played on the right wing. I, I've come to that conclusion because this gives Barry Trotz the best uh, chance of rolling four lines when you have the, three, the, the four centers you can rely upon. And in order, that would be Matthew Barzell, 
Brock Nelson, Derek Broussard, Casey Sezekis. So that, that's not a bad four for centers. Honestly, it's not. You know, a lot of teams would like to have, you know, four centers like that that they could roll out. And this is, again, assuming that Derek Broussard is, is playing well at center. I talked to him about that the other night in Dallas. And, you know, he's, he's comfortable there. It's his position. I know he was more productive on the right wing, but this, this is where Brass has... Has, has done well over his career, and, and he, he said after that stinted uh, right wing on Nelson's line, going back to center, he's, he's feeling a little bit more comfortable and, you know, confident in what needs to be done within the Islanders' system. So uh, I'm putting brass at center. So w w with Matthew Barzell, uh, I'm going to go back to what he had at the start. I, I really think uh, Anders Lee and Jordan Eberle will be on his wings again at some point. Right now, the two of them are skating on Brass's wing on kind of a, you know, third line, 2A line, however you uh, define it. Um, but I, I think ultimately Barzell, Lee, and Eberle will get back together. And I, I think that is the Islanders' best chance for a top line. And this is presupposing that Anders Lee and Jordan Eberle are scoring with a little bit more consistency. Now, Anders Lee had a uh, his first power play of the goal in Tampa Bay the other night, and I asked him about it. Just, you know, does it feel good? Because, you know, Anders usually cleans up on the power play, and, you know, to go 29 games into the season, and that's when you're getting your first power play goal. He kind of gave an embarrassed laugh because, you know, that, that did make the score 5-1. It was late in the third period. Game was long over. He kind of said, you know, it, it was a quote-unquote meaningless goal. But, you know, anytime you get that feeling of scoring on the power play, maybe it sparks something. And he really did like the uh, the puck movement they had on that goal as he got the... Uh, as he got it set up from, uh, I'm going to my uh, sheet. Yeah, uh, Josh Bailey, who had a, a pretty decent game there uh, with the shorthanded goal. Uh, Barzell to Bailey to Lee. And, uh, you know, that makes it 5-1 late in the third period. But, you know, anything counts. Everything counts. And maybe that gets Anders Lee rolling a little bit more on the man advantage. Um, five on five, though, they obviously need more from Anders and Jordan Everly. I I do have faith that those two guys get there. You've seen it before. Um, so I'm getting them on a line with Matthew Barzell. Barry Trotz always talks not so much about lines. It's about getting, you know, the two pieces together and then finding the third piece. So I say that because I have two pieces on Brock Nelson's line, Brock Nelson being one of them, and Anthony Beauvillier, on the left wing, and I think those two have just played really consistently and well together all season. And then I got a big circle for right wing. You, you obviously know the candidates. Uh, Josh Bailey has played there. Uh, Michael Dalcal played there the other night. Uh, Tommy Kuhnhockel is coming back from uh, injury at some point. He's down at Bridgeport on conditioning. Um, Leo Komarov has played there, and it's just, I, I, I don't know, you know, I don't, obviously Barry has not found the right answer on, on right wing for those, for those two. And, and probably ultimately that's, that's where Josh Bailey should fit in. But, but, you know, uh, in, in my lineup, I have the circle there and I think this is what all the fans are asking about and what's been speculated about is that the Islanders do need that additional secondary scoring from a top six wing type of guy. And, and that's, that's where I would insert that player is on that line with uh, Bo and Nelson to, to, to bolster the, the top six. And, and that's just because I, I think the other pieces you're throwing in there, um, you know, Kuhnhockel, Dalcal, uh, Komarov, they're, they're not suited to that top six role. Um, they're just not. They're, that's not the kind of players they are. They're, you know, they're pretty much all, I would say, third liners um, in, in a perfect lineup. So, uh, you know, for right now, I put Josh Bailey there um, just out of necessity. 
And, you know, I think Josh has thrived as a top six wing. So, you know, give me Bo, Nelson, and, and Bailey in that circle. Um, but if you're looking to make the Islanders the best team possible, I think that circle is where you acquire someone to, to make the team better. And then third line, Brass's line. Um, here's the thing. Um, you know, Brass is a really, really good skater. And uh, right, you know, if I'm making up the lines right now, I, I think optimally maybe this is where Ross Johnson slots in because, uh, you know, right now he's playing on Matthew Barzell's top line. And, you know, the model there, Barry kind of turned Tom Wilson from a fourth liner into a top line player. And, and he sees some of the same things some of the same skills in, in Ross Johnson, thinks he's a, a pretty decent skater, 200-foot skater, uh, agrees he's got really soft hands around the crease, obviously that big body, he protects teammates, he goes into the corners, just, you know, very useful player when he's playing well, and you saw that goal he scored against Tampa, that was kind of a shooter's, shooter's goal, really nice shot from the right face-off circle, over uh, Curtis McElhaney's blocker, under the, uh, you know, kind of crossbar, sort of dinged in off the left post. I mean, picked a spot. Really, really nice wrist shot and, and good for Ross. And if he can develop into that kind of player all the time, and uh, uh, then the Islanders do have something. And so that's why I'm saying, you know, if Ross continues this upward trend, um, I, I think ultimately he gets off Barzell's line and, and the minutes make a little more sense on the third line. You get him with Brass and then on the right wing for now, that's either a Dalcal, Kunhakel, uh, Kamarov spot. But again, if the Islanders are able to acquire someone, I, I drop Josh Bailey there. And I, I think that really, you know, fills out the lineup really nicely. And I'm, I'm not touching the fourth line. And uh, we'll, we'll touch upon this in the Q&A a little bit. You know, uh, one question was about Matty Martin's effectiveness. And he's in the, he's in the last year of his deal. I, I, I don't touch this, you know, Martin Sezikis clutterbuck line just because of how well they play together and, you know, what they mean to their teammates. So, uh, you know, those are, those are my four lines right now. Uh, Lee Barzell... Uh, Eberly, Beauvillier, Nelson, Circle with Bailey in the circle right now, Johnson, Brass, and take your pick of Kamarov, Dalcol, uh, Kunhakel when he's back, and then Martin, Sezikis, Clutterbuck. You can debate that amongst yourselves. I'm sure you can reach out to me on Twitter and tell me what you think, but uh, that is what I think. Um, Speaking of Dalcal and, like I said, Noah Dobson, two of them were in the lineup at Tampa Bay, and, uh, you know, there's a good chance uh, I would say they would be in the lineup in Florida as well because, uh, you know, Barry, after a game like that, 5-1, uh, you know, most coaches would not touch the lineup. So I, I suspect that Dalcal and uh, Dobson and less, and less Letty you know, is okay. If Letty's fine, then he's going to play. But I, I sort of think they're going to give Letty a little bit of time here to recover from what he is. Barry Trotz said he was day-to-day. -day. And Barry Trotz also talked about the development and and where we are exactly with Noah Dobson and Michael Dalcal. Do you find each time Noah gets in, there's just a little bit more to his game? I know he said he wasn't really thrilled with his Los Angeles game. Yeah, his Los Angeles game was not, that was probably his worst game as a pro. Um, and if you, he probably said the same, but he, he just wasn't uh, as confident with his game and it didn't go his way and, and uh, just, it was a tough, tough night for him. But I, I think with him is... He's one of those players that recognizes he's got some talent. He knows that he's he can play in this in the league, um, and so he's gonna you know he, he'll respond. I think he always has. He's he's really probably wired that way, 
Uh, he, he's got a lot of faith in what he does as a, as a player, and the confidence you have as a player is, is key for anything. You, uh, you it looks like uh, Del Powell is getting back in. Yeah, I'm going to put Michael back in in the lineup tonight. So I think he deserves it. He, he's had a pretty good stretch. I pulled him out uh, just for more for situational stuff, and then. Uh, some lineup stuff that I knew that I, was, I wanted to do. I want to keep everybody active through this uh, number of games. We've got a lot of games, you know, from now till, well, really till the end of February for the most part. Uh, so, you know, I got to I got to use everybody. I got to keep everybody uh, engaged. And also, I think I'm expanding my a little not, not my thought process, but where I want to go with uh, like a, a Johnson and people like that. So. Um, I, we've got to, you know, move forward. We're at that that point where we got to continue to keep growing. Speak specifically about Michael. I think yeah, a few days ago you said he'd become a legit NHL yeah, player. What, what do you see in him to, to get there? Well, number one is his pace of game, his pace, uh, his he's skating as well as he's ever skated. Uh, I think the systematic stuff that are, are in terms of are lock are not black the, the things that are black and white he's got those locked down for the most part in some of those gray areas he now I think he he has a better thought process through those gray areas when when we use the term you know sometimes you just got to be a hockey player and and sort it out and, and he's done a much better job but I just like the fact that he's been consistent he, you know he's not showing you one thing one one game and something different the next he's been pretty consistent and that's good on him that's when a player uh, is turning into a real good pro and I think he's done that and uh, I, th I think he's as I say he's gone from uh, a guy that may be in and out of the lineup to a guy that should be in the lineup and it's just my call if he's in or not so um, uh, that's that's just good growth on, 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 a, on a young player. So there are some of Barry's thoughts on, on those two players and uh, you've heard my thoughts on the lines and uh, a little bit of a brief where we are with this team uh, wound up doing a, it's a pretty lengthy Q&A session so I don't want to keep you fine folks on the road all day circling in the parking lot to finish this podcast. So uh, what I would like to do is, and what I am going to do, since this is uh, my podcast here, we're going to uh, get to that interview I recorded with Blake Como in Dallas. When he came up, you know, he, he, he was a scorer in juniors and he thought he would be a scorer in the NHL, an offensive-minded guy, and... Uh, Started out looking like that with the Islanders, but he's really settled into kind of a third-line checking defensive grinder, you know, getting to the corners, agitator type of player, and um, he's made a career of it. So um, here's Blake Como from the Dallas Stars practice facility way out in the heart of Texas, someplace in Dallas. It was a long drive. And we're here with Blake Como uh, at the Dallas Stars practice facility. And uh, Blake, congrats on the success in Dallas. And just w what's it like out here for you? You liking uh, Big D? Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, I got three little girls at home, and they love it here. Uh, my oldest started kindergarten this year. We met a lot of really great people, and um, it's very true when they say Southern hospitality. Everyone's been outstanding here. Uh, the organization's great. The guys in the room are great. Um, we have a really good team and a good chance of winning every night, so it's been a lot of fun. You, you've played in some diverse areas, you know, Calgary, Columbus. Mm -hmm. Each spot is different. What is, what's unique to Dallas for you? Uh, I just think how nice the people are. Um, we only live about 10 minutes outside of downtown, but it really feels like you're in your own little community. Mm -hmm. um, the schooling's great. Um, the commute to the practice rink isn't bad. Uh, we got good facilities. The travel isn't that bad. And um, just really nice weather year-round. Um, it's kind of nice that you can play outside with the kids in December and January. Yeah. Obviously, it's been about, uh, I guess, seven years. My math is not great. It's been about seven years since you played with the Islanders. How do you feel your game has grown since then? You, you, you've evolved as an NHL player. Yeah, I think when I first came into the league, like a lot of young guys, um, you know, you're, you're offensive and you're looking to produce and score points. And um, I think early in my career I was building towards that. And then uh, 
you know, I uh, got put on waivers when I was with the Islanders, and I had a few struggling years there where I had to really reinvent my game and figure out a way where I could stay in the league and contribute if I wasn't producing offensively. So I feel like I've really matured in that sense. Um, I've came in with an offensive mindset, and I feel like now later in my career, my role is a is a checking winger who uh, will try to contribute secondary scoring. So. Um, I think I attribute it to that, just all the different stops I've been in, the different coaches, the different roles. And, um, yeah, like I said, I needed to find a way to contribute so I could stay in the league, and uh, so far I've done that. Uh, it's funny because it sounds like your game would fit in perfectly with what the Islanders are doing right now. Give me a, a quick scouting report on, on them and, what you know, what you've seen on tape. And obviously, since Barry's come in, it's been a, a big turnaround for that franchise. Yeah, to be honest, I feel like they have a very similar makeup to the way that we play. Um, we like to create our chances through our tight checking and our defensive play. We have great goaltending. Uh, we have guys that are willing to block shots and sacrifice, and I feel like everyone in this locker room really bought in. And, you know, I'm not in the locker room in New York, but it seems like the way they play and how committed they are to being on the right side of pucks and playing good defensive hockey that everyone's bought in for Barry, and um, they've had success playing that style. So tonight we can expect probably not a, a run-and-gun kind of game. Uh, that's not how I've, either of us are built, but we got to make sure that we're playing the way that we need to play to uh, win the game uh, for 60 minutes and, and not look for easy offense. You, I mean, there's still... You know, there are still some guys in that organization you kind of came up with. I'm assuming Josh Bailey and, uh, you know, you probably knew Zeker a little bit. Or... Uh, I wasn't there with him, but uh, me and Josh were really tight when I was there. Um, we kind of came up right around the same same time, and, uh, you know, we still follow each other. I know he's got his family now, and I have mine, and uh, I see some some clips and stuff on um, his social media. You know, but I had great memories. Uh, it was kind of a rebuilding phase when I came up, so there's a lot of other young guys that I was with, with Poso and Molson and uh, Tavares when he first came in. So uh, I had a lot of great memories uh, in New York. It was a lot of fun, and um, it's where I got my start. You, you, you played there, I think, for Teddy Nolan and uh, Scott Gordon and then Cappy, yeah. Jack Capuano. How did, how did each of those guys kind of shape your game a little bit? Well, Teddy gave me a, my first opportunity. Um, I think my second year I was maybe struggling a little bit in the minors, but he, uh, he was the one that I think vouched for me and gave me my shot um, and uh, ended up sticking, I think, for 50-some-odd games. And then uh, there was a coaching change, and Scott came in. And then I was in the minors, I think, to start that season and then had to work my way back up with Scott and gain some trust. And, um, and then he left, and then Jack left. So it was a bit of a... Bit of a crazy time there, but, um, you know, with Teddy, he was uh, really big on um, hard work and playing hard. Um, Scott, I had to really work to gain his trust, and uh, Jack I had in the minors. So all three were, were very pivotal on um, how I became as a player. You, you mentioned it earlier. You you were doing well. You were scoring, and then all of a sudden, it kind of dried up, and they, and they put you on waivers. Did that? How, how much of a shock was that? And you know, what, what what did that mean? You know, in big picture in your career to to have to go through that. It was tough, to be honest. Um, you know, I was in my early twenties, and I don't think I really knew how to handle it, to be honest. Um, you get drafted by the Islanders, you start with the Islanders, you always have in your mind, this is where I want to be for the rest of my career. And to be put on waivers, uh, I just don't think I was mature enough at the time to handle it. And uh, it took me a couple years. Uh, it was a hard hit to my confidence. And, um, you know, it was really, it took me until probably Pittsburgh where I could kind of turn my career around. Uh, I had a great opportunity with Mike Johnson there and I got to play with some really good players. And uh, I was kind of able to get back in the role a little bit where I started with New York and uh, and then from there it just kind of um, evolved with me getting another good opportunity in Colorado and then a good opportunity here um, but yeah it was tough to go through there's no question having to move cities um, and pack up and leave and say bye to everyone it was, it was tough it just and, and again, you know, you've obviously, you know, you've come out on the other side and you've come through with a, a really good representative NHL career. Wondering, NHL players, what was the reaction when you guys find out they're going to be games at Nassau Coliseum again? 
I was actually excited, to be honest. Um, I remember playing there, especially when we played the Rangers, and the atmosphere was awesome. And um, for whatever reason, it just hasn't really... Uh, from when I've been there anyways, Barclays hasn't been able to recreate that. And uh, watching playoff hockey last year and seeing Nassau and how uh, intense the atmosphere was, it's a, it's a fun place to play. Um, you know, I know it's an older arena, but uh, I, I almost feel like that's why it's fun is because it's loud. You feel like the fans are on top of you, New York fans are passionate, and um, I think it's a good thing for hockey. Yeah. Unfortunately, I know the stars are coming into Brooklyn later this yeah. year. Did you kind of look at that when you, you know, all players kind of scan the, the uh, schedule when it first comes out? Yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't check and look at it, um, to be honest with you, but I just... I'm not really sure if they schedule it based on, is it rivalries? Do you know? I'm not even sure. Uh, it's, it's been a mess, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they've been changing games, and, you know, they're playing 28 at, uh, at the Coliseum this year, and they moved seven, so it was only supposed to be 21. Okay. So, I mean, who knows? You, you could wind up playing at the yeah. Coliseum after yeah. all. But, no, uh, I, think it's, I think it's good. Um, even when I was staying in the hotel when I first got my – when I first started, just walking to the rink and everyone tailgating out there and how passionate the fans are, it's, I always thought it was a great atmosphere to be a part of. Yeah, well, listen, Blake, I, I appreciate all the time and uh, all the best to you. And uh, I know Islander fans are still uh, pretty appreciative of what, what you did for them. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks again to the Dallas Stars' Blake Como, the former Islander, for being gracious and taking a few minutes. Good catching up with Blake. He seems... Uh, very happy in Dallas and, uh, you know, a different kind of player than when he was with the Islanders. Uh, getting waved, as you heard him say, really was a, an eye-opener and he's turned into a different kind of player. And it's really helped him prolong his, uh, his career. He's had a really nice career in the NHL as a different kind of player than uh, when he came up. And uh, you know what, that's something that some players adjust to and some players never adjust to that. And as a result, they do not have uh, longer careers like Blake is putting together. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. And again, thank, thank you everyone for uh, submitting uh, questions and making uh, uh, Andrew's answers a, a really viable and uh, worthwhile thing to do here. Uh, couldn't do it without you. And uh, hopefully you like some of the answers I give. Um, as I say, uh, you've responded to my tweet asking for questions. I'm just scrolling through this and giving you what I think. Stream of consciousness. And uh, away we go here. Uh, Thomas Boyle asks... Do you see the Islanders making a trade before the holiday freeze? And to be honest, probably not. Two reasons here. I, I think, you know, Tom Kuhnhockel is coming back, and I think they're going to try and incorporate him into the lineup before uh, making any grander decisions on anything. And two, I really think the Taylor Hall situation with the Devils um, that, that may hold up the market a little bit. And, uh, you know, I, I actually think maybe Taylor Hall gets dealt before the holiday freeze, to be honest. But I, I think until Taylor Hall goes, it, it, that, that would be the first domino there. So I, I don't see the Islanders sort of in on that first wave. So, uh, no, not before the holiday freeze, which is actually, it's, Boy, this year has gone gone by pretty quickly. We're we're talking about you know uh, less than two weeks to that. So uh, Stephen Shear says, are there any good forwards that might be available to help beef up uh, the Islanders? And I'm assuming, uh, yeah, uh, up front, uh, maybe from teams looking for a salary dump. And who, what do you think the Isles would have to give up? Um, once you get past Taylor Hall. Um, obviously they're, you know, you're looking at UFAs, uh, first, you know, guys that aren't going to re-sign, um, went through a little bit of that list and probably the names are not going to jump out at you. Uh, Taylor Hall is clearly, you know, the, the marquee name there, but, uh, you know, with the Panthers move Mike Hoffman, um, and I, I guess the second question to that would be, would the Panthers move Mike Hoffman 
to a team that they're potentially competing for a playoff spot against. That that might be the bigger question. Um, did the Kings seem out of it? Would Tyler Toffoli be a be an option? Uh, Senators with Vlad Nemensnikov, uh, the Sabres with Jimmy Vesey. You know, those are kind of names that might get moved. Uh, the Devils, since they've just, you know, the bottoms dropped out there, would they move Wayne Simmons pretty quickly? You know, over the offseason, I sort of looked at Wayne as a guy that might fit in really well with the Islanders. Um, obviously, his game is... Not where it was even a couple of seasons ago, but I, I, I still like Wayne Simmons as a player. And uh, down in Tampa, Pat Maroon uh, covered him briefly with the Devils. He's just a big, big boy. Um, can score a little bit. I don't know if he fits what the Islanders would be looking for, but uh, you kind of get a sense of what the market might be there as far as what the Islanders would have to give up uh, if, you know, Again, not a blockbuster trade. Teams are probably looking at Bridgeport. You know, I would say the Islanders have some good defense prospects down there. Um, you know, Sebastian Ajo, uh, guys like that. You know, Parker Wotherspoon, uh, depending. And obviously, teams are going to inquire about Oliver Wallstrom or Kiefer Bellows even, who's uh, starting to score a little bit. And maybe an Arno Durando. You know, guys like that. And and also draft picks. Uh, I think the Islanders would be sending some draft picks back. Um, let's see. Old School Mountie says the Islanders' goaltending is very good. Their defense is very good. Their offense is, on the whole, so far average. Uh, if we are going to rent with the option to buy a pure scorer at the cost of picks and players, shouldn't we do that sooner rather than later, closer to the trade day? trade deadline. And, and yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I think, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want to take it all the way to late February, um, you know. Uh, but again, I think Taylor Hall is going to be the first domino to fall. I, you know, I, I really don't see Taylor Hall and the Islanders being a fit because probably the first thing Devil's GM Ray Shiro would ask of, of Lou Lamarillo would probably be Noah Dobson, and I think that's that's a non-starter right there. Johnny Dangerously says, who do you think besides Hall could be available we can grab to help our scoring? As I mentioned, uh, you know, a couple of those names, uh, you know, again, not the sexy names, Tyler Toffoli, uh, VC, Nemeskikov, Hoffman, uh, maybe a Wayne Simmons. I'm, I'm repeating myself here, but... Uh, those might be some of the names, and, and to be honest, uh, you know, I think lately uh, the Penguins uh, might be, the, the rumors are they might be looking to uh, move Alex Galchenyuk. Um, and again, would they move a guy to a team within the division that they're, you know, battling for a playoff spot? You know, I'm sure they'd probably want to get Alex uh, to the Western Conference, but you, you never know. Andy Hicks asks, contract. Do you think Taze and Pulak get two-year bridge deals of around four and five point five million, uh, respectfully, to get them or get them through the end of the Boychuk contract? Uh, maybe a three-year for Barzell at around eight million for three years to the end of Andrew Ladd's deal. Don't see them all getting six, seven, eight-year deals right away. And to be honest, you know. Two, three years ago, I would have uh, completely agreed with you. Um, but bridge deals for these RFAs are, seem to be uh, more and more a thing of the past. Uh, the RFAs are, are commanding some big contracts. Uh, you know, Mitch Marner with a six year, $65.358 million deal, an AAV over $10 million a season. Um, the Senators give defenseman Thomas Shabbat uh, eight years, $64 million. Jets go seven years, $50 million with Kyle Connor. Uh, the Devils gave Nico Hishier a seven-year, almost a $51 million deal. And, uh, you know, so obviously those, you know, the, the RFAs, the high-end RFAs are, are no longer really bound to this system where GMs can 
you know, pigeonhole him into a two, three year old bridge deal and then, uh, you know, you know, get them through arbitration um, before they get to unrestricted free agency. It's just happening earlier and earlier. Um, bringing it back to Devontae's and Ryan Pulak, both of those guys are arbitration eligible. Um, so they're going to make some more money, obviously. Taze in the second year of a uh, two-year $1.4 million uh, deal. So he's, you know, by NHL standards, woefully underpaid at 700000 AAV. And Ryan Pulak on a two-year $4 million uh, deal with an AAV of $2 million. And, you know, I, I think Pulak is looking, you know, around the $6 million a year uh, for his role within the team. And Taze is probably not far behind, maybe, you know, five, uh, you know, four, seven, five, five, five point two five, somewhere around there, perhaps. And I, I don't see him being two year bridge deals. I, I think these are deals that are going to take him. The Islanders are going to want to, uh, you know, get back some years of unrestricted free agency uh, for that price. So I, I see him being longer deals. And you know, we've talked about Matt Barzell here, um, <laughs> getting him three for eight, you know, three years, 24 million. I, I, that would be a bargain at this point with the way prices are going. I, I think you really, you know, have to look at Rantanen's deal with the Avalanche, which was six years, 5.5 million. That's an AAV of 9.25. And uh, as I mentioned, Marner's deal with the with the Maple Leafs, six, you know, with an AAV of almost 11 million. I think, I and I've said this, I think Matt Barzell is going to be a really tough negotiation with uh, Lou Lamarillo in the offseason. Um, let's see. Uh, Eric Islander asked, why isn't Dobson getting any games? And uh, he obviously did play uh, in Tampa, in Tampa Bay with Nick Letty out. Um, how is it not stifling his development? And you know, we've sort of been over this. Uh, the, the long and the short answer is, I don't think it's stifling his development, but maybe he's not being furthered as much as he could have. And again, the Islanders are kind of between a rock and a hard place because he's not AHL eligible at age 19 because he has Canadian junior eligibility. It's a loophole. Um, Lou Lamarillo believes the next CBA, this loophole will be closed and you'd be able to send Dobson to the AHL, which is probably the perfect place for him to play right now. Um, he is... There is a lot of learning uh, and teaching and experience being gained just from practicing with the team. And they told, they told Noah at the beginning of the season that he was going to be spotted in and he was not going to play 82 games. He might not even play 42 games. But they believe being around an NHL team is going to be better for him than perhaps getting into a lot of bad habits if they had taken the other, only other option open to them, which was sending him to back to his junior team. They just figured he would be overused down there. And, you know, he's too talented down there and maybe he gets a little lazy with his, uh, you know, when I say lazy, he, he's too good down there. So he falls into bad habits just because he relies on his talent instead of, you know, playing exactly the right way. So uh, kind of a tough spot for both the Islanders and Noah Dobson, but that is the situation. Um, Isles of Contention say, why was there no plan B for offense after Lou failed again to acquire the top offensive free agent on the market two summers in a row? And, uh, you know, you're obviously talking about Johnny Tavares leaving for the Maple Leafs um, and then Artemi Panarin um, going to the Rangers instead of the Islanders. And um, well, well, let's dissect this. I, I, I wouldn't say there was no plan B. Uh, Lou always has a plan B. I mean, he just doesn't publicize it. And uh, maybe plan D, B doesn't come along either. I mean, there's no guarantees that players are going to come here. And what, what Lou has found, and, you know, I think, and we've touched upon this also, the uh, new arena at Belmont will alleviate some of this. But free agents it's a hard sell getting them to, you know, split season between two homes. Uh, they, they, they know it's tough. Why, why would they sign up for that? Um, now the Islanders can sell a future finally. So I, I, I do expect some free agents to start coming this way. 
Um, look, Lou offered Panarin more money than the Rangers gave him, considerably more money, same amount of years, seven years, and Panarin picked Broadway over the suburbs, essentially. It comes down to that. Um, you know, and Tavares, you know, Lou, <laughs> Lou came in a little bit late. That that drama had mostly played out by the time Lou got to the Islanders in April. Um, you know, as as far as Plan Bs again, like I said, I mean, you know, it's your definition of a Plan B versus maybe Lou's definition of a Plan B. I mean, the Islanders, you know, they brought in they brought in Derek Broussard. Uh, this off season, and it was late, and it was late August when that happened. Are you considering that a plan B? You know, uh, I mean, Broussard has been a top six forward at times this season, um, and you know he's playing center again, but he's he may go back into the top six as a wing. So, you know, it just depends what your definition of a plan B is. Um, Buddy says, "What's your ideal third line?" You know, as I mentioned at the top of the show, it, it, it really, you know, it is a jigsaw puzzle that doesn't seem like it has all the pieces right now. Um, and again, my third line, maybe it shakes out waffling here, but I, I, my ideal third line does have Derek Broussard in the middle because I, I think the Islanders are just stronger when you have those four centers, Barzell, Nelson, Broussard, and Sezikis rather than taking Broussard, putting him on the wing, no matter how well he played with Beauvillier and Nelson. Um, so I, I got Broussard there, and maybe maybe you put Josh Bailey uh, on Broussard's right wing, and, you know, maybe, <laughs> I know this is Matthew Barzell's line right now, but uh, Ross Johnson and Bailey on Broussard, on Broussard's wings, and that, that might be a pretty strong third line. Um, but, you know, I, I know some people want to know, you know, Oliver Wallstrom would obviously, uh, be a good addition to the mix if he can prove he can play in the NHL level on, in terms of solid defense, which is what Barry Trotz did not see in Oliver's first go round with the team. But, you know, ultimately, you know, if, if Wallstrom gets that part of his game figured out, then, then you know, he would be a good answer there. Um, you know, I have not been down to Bridgeport to scout, so I can't tell you how Andrew Ladd is looking down there. But if Andrew Ladd were healthy, he would be a good fit on a third line. Um, you, you could probably, you know, I know they're both te technically left wings, but... It, could you do Broussard, Johnson, and Ladd? Uh, maybe, you know, Broussard's a better skater, um, certainly than Ladd at this point, although, and Ross is a big boy, but he does manage to get himself around the ice. So, uh, ideal third line, I, I think that's the problem with the Islanders right now. It's not a clear-cut answer. Let's see, uh, where are we going here? Islanders fan... Uh, 1143 says, if the Islanders trade for Hall, what lineup player do we have to send to the Devils? A first and Dobson Wallstrom is basically necessary, but who else? Um, you know, the Devils are going to look, they want to go young. Um, and yeah, certainly Dobson would be a part of that. And certainly Wallstrom would be asked for. Uh, maybe another, you know, would they ask for Bodie Wild as well, uh, plus a first rounder? Uh, I think Ray Shiro would ask for a lot for Taylor Hall. Um, as far as guys on the Islanders roster, Barzell is a non-starter, obviously. But, uh, you know, Ray, Ray might ask for an Anthony Beauvillier in, in that case. Uh, you know, or maybe one of the defensemen. You know, one of the younger defensemen. Uh, would he ask for Taze? He might ask for Taze. Um... Let's see. Brian Durant says, "It seems that it's it seems that it's important for the blue line to push play to create odd man rushes. And of course, when the team is losing, is that something Trot stresses in practice? Uh, I sort of enjoy when I see Letty, Taze, Pulak, etc., go from end to end. Puts a lot of pressure on the other team, and I I completely agree. And yeah, you know those kind of breakouts." 
um, are practiced uh, a lot in practice. There's a lot of skating in practice, um, oftentimes more so than, uh, you know, trying to get one player to skate the puck all the way up ice. What practice concentrates on is quick breakout passes and, and getting through the neutral zone with speed. And that is, of course, what creates the odd man rushes. So, yeah, you know, Trotz, uh, you know, he stresses a lot of stuff in practice, but playing with speed and playing with crispness to create those numbers is something that is stressed in practice. Um, Glenn... Arford uh, says uh, Matt Martin looks totally lost out there and has been like this for a while now. How long do you think he will be in the lineup when he is clearly is way off the form he should be in? Too late in every play and had two mistakes in Dallas. And players will tell you, coaches will tell you, hockey is a game of mistakes. It's how you respond to the mistakes. And obviously in Dallas, you know, a couple of, a couple of power play goals from the Stars, and it's a 3-1 loss. Um, with, with Matt, um, I, I don't see him coming out of the lineup. Trotz loves that line. The teammates love that line. The line mates love that line. Um, when it is going well, everyone agrees there's something special for whatever reason. The sum of those three is kind of greater than the individual parts. Um, and... It really does set an identity. I know that's probably not the answer you want to hear, but there is a value uh, in that line, and Matty Martin is a big part of it. And, you know, and look, Matt's, Matt's ice time has been down a little bit at times. Uh, what do you get? He got 9.24 uh, against uh, Tampa Bay and uh, sort of completely fell out of the rotation in Dallas. And I did ask asked Barry about that and he wasn't going to, you know, flame Matt in public, you know, so he kind of talked around that in terms of an answer as to why Matt came out of the lineup saying, you know, basically he was, uh, you know, looking to get some other guys going. But uh, look, Matt Martin, for for all I've just said, you know, Barry will, will kind of go away from him in games. Um, but overall, I, I don't expect Matt to be a regular healthy scratch at all. Um, Michael Cavs says, why was there no physical response by the Islanders when Barzell was getting manhandled by the Canadians? It was already clear we weren't going to win that game. And, um, yeah, Ross Johnson on the line. I mean, that, that Montreal game was just kind of a, a clunker altogether and, Maybe you you just throw that one out and say the team just had a really bad night. Um, in general, I, I, I do think the Islanders stand up for each other, be it Matty Martin, be it Scott Mayfield, uh, you know, Clutterbuck, or, or, or certainly Ross Johnson. I, I think they got guys who stand up for 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 teammates, and it's kind of fun, you know, watching Johnson on Parcells' line because Johnson, you know, he was able to score a goal in Tampa Bay, and he's also, you know, getting into a couple of confrontations. Uh, who I he he was with Pat Maroon, I believe, at one point, and uh, just kind of jawing and uh, kind of yelling at each other across the benches. So uh, you know, I don't think anyone's messing with Barzy with Johnson on that line, although that was. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Taff uh, Taff one nine one nine says one of the Islanders bring Wallstrom back to be on the third line wing, which we were just talking about with Bailey. He's got the offensive skills to what they currently need for more scoring. Yes, he definitely has the offensive skills, and it's a matter of when Barry Trotz is told or sees with his own eyes that he can trust Oliver defensively because. If you saw through Oliver's nine-game stint here, you know, he kind of started out in the top six. But when you're in the top six, you're facing some really quality opponents who can skate pretty well. And Oliver got a little bit lost with his defensive assignments. So then Barry had to move him down in the lineup. And he, I think he wound up on the fourth line. And at that point, it's not really worth it. He's not getting a lot of minutes in the game. But if he can... If he can show Barry and the organization that he is trustworthy, 
trustworthy defensively, yeah, he'd be a really good fit on that third line. And I think that's what they're trying to bring out of him in this stint down in Bridgeport. I know they're working with him on it down there. Um, Scott asks, with the move to Belmont, do you see home night games being moved to 7.30? 7 p.m. doesn't make sense with Long Island traffic and the inconsistency of the LIRR. And, you know, I, I could argue that, <laughs> you know, I know at Belmont you're going to have to deal with uh, the Cross Island, which is a, uh, you know, a hell, uh, <laughs> a different kind of hell when it comes to traffic at times. But, you know, the, the Coliseum, getting to the Coliseum on the Meadowbrook, the Northern or Southern or the LIE, that's not a picnic either. Um, and they, they, they go with 7 o'clock there. Um, to be honest with you, I, I think TV has a bigger say in this than anything. You know, not, you know, consideration for, uh, you know, fans and what works best. I, I think, you know, TV sets a lot of this. Um, so if it's 7 o'clock at the Coliseum, I, I sort of think it might stick at 7. Um, but we'll see. we got a couple of years here. Um, no complaints, except still not enough scoring, says, what do you consider our biggest trade assets? And, you know, I've, I've mentioned teams are going to come after Wallstrom. They're going to ask for Dobson, probably Bodie Wild, maybe a Sebastian Ajo, uh, those younger talent guys, you know, maybe, you know, uh, again, you know, would, would, would the Islanders consider moving on from Nick Letty? Uh, I think they need to wait until Noah Dobson is ready to step into that role. Um, but, you know, Letty would be a huge trade asset. Um, let's see. Glenn Thompson says, think Johnston gets another shot on the Barzell line. Well, he scored a beautiful goal. Um, that was a scorer's goal. He scored against the Lightning. It really was. Um, and, and I keep telling you, Ross has got softer hands than you would think for you know, a 6'5", 235-pound guy who is really known for his physical play. I, I just, you know, he's got good hand-eye coordination, and he's got a really good shot, as he showed you. So, uh, you know, maybe he blossoms with this and, and becomes something more than uh, what many of us thought he would. We'll see. He's certainly getting the chance. But, yes, I think for now he is on Matthew Barzell's line. Um, Steve asks, do you fear any animosity, animosity amongst the players that Barry Trotz is always the one who gets the credit for their team's success? Um, no, I don't fear any animosity because I, I do think Barry always says it's about the players. Um, you know, he's always praising you know, the hard work they've put in and the, you know, the solid goaltending. And he's always talking about Mitch Korn and the... Uh, Pierre Greco's uh, contributions to all of this and Lane Lambert's and John Gruden's, you know, uh, it's uh, Jim Hiller, I should mention as well. Uh, you know, even the video guys, Barry is very good at deflecting credit. So I, I don't think this is an issue at all. Jeff Islanders 27 says, if you had to give a percentage, how likely do you think Lou will make a trade for a score? Um, if I had to give it a percentage, I'm going to say about between now and the trade deadline, I'll go 60%. I'll put it 60, might go as high as 65%. Um, Isles Guy asks, anyone else notice that Johnny Boychuk isn't the same shooter anymore? Why does he always shoot wide of the net playing for the bank off the board shot? It's a low percentage play. Has anyone thought to bring this up to him and just tell him to rip it to the net like he used to? No, I have not thought to bring that up because I think, uh, you know, you, you, I, I would have to ask that in a little bit of a different manner than you phrased it in the question. Um, and, and I don't necessarily think he's always shooting the shoot wide. I, I think sometimes, you know, more, more and more, you know, shooting lanes are getting taken away. So, uh, but the other thing is, look, Johnny, Johnny's, what, 35 now? I'm sorry if I'm making him older than he is. But, you know, he's, uh, he's been around a long time. Years do take a toll. So, I mean, there's going to be parts of his game that are not the same as they used to. I, I will, 
he still has a hell of a shot. It's very hard, um, and when he does get it on net, it is a, a problem for goalies more often than not. So, uh, Jay Mersh says, um, well, first of all, he appreciated me giving him an avatar compliment last week, and he's the one with the, you know, the, uh, the old Islander Stan Fischler, Gordon, Gordon's Fisherman uh, avatar, but... Um, if we do decide to make a move before the deadline, who, in your opinion, would be the piece on the table to trade for a scorer with Bellows getting hot as he won? And, yeah, and we've mentioned this, and I think Bellows, as I speak, has had four goals in six games uh, for Bridgeport, and it's great to see that. Um, again, I'm not down there watching his game, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I can't tell you how well he's playing defensively, but four goals in six games is pretty good. And maybe he does, you know, work himself into the Islanders conversation here. Um, you know, and, and the other, as Jay Mersh points out, you know, if he is playing like this, then yeah, other teams are certainly scouting, so he becomes more interesting. Um, going through, uh, you know, Bellows, and it's, it's the same, uh, Otto Koivula is probably, uh, Koivula is probably a guy that a lot of teams are, you know, going to try and pry away from the Islanders as well, because, uh, he's got a big body and he's already, you know, shown himself a little bit in the NHL and, uh, he's certainly going to be back. So, you know, Otto is another guy that, uh, teams are going to be asking for, um, Max says, Isles need help on the third line. I sense a uh, theme here. They've tried several guys from Bridgeport. Nothing seems to work. Josh Hosang's still sitting out. That's not technically true. He's sitting out because Lou told him to go away after, um, you know, making a trade request, which Lou has not found a trade partner yet. Any chance he returns to the team, or are they done with him? I, I think you've seen that they are done with him. Uh, it is over. Uh, I'm calling it like CNN. It is over. Um, I'm I'm actually a little surprised that they haven't worked something out. Not a trade, because uh, you know I didn't see that. But I, I thought maybe they would just you know terminate the contract and Josh could go play in Europe. But uh, apparently not. Um, I, I still think that's what happens eventually. Let's see, uh, Kurt Green says, did a player ever tell you something on the record that you wish you didn't have to report? Did a player ever tell you something off the record you wished you could report? Now, the, the second part of that, um, yeah, and uh, obviously I can't tell you what it was because it was off the record, but yeah, you know, if guys trust you, um, you know, sometimes you hear things or sometimes they'll tell you stuff. Um, uh, it's, it, you know, it's kind of reporter, beat reporter 101 is, you know, developing the trust with the guys. Um, and it becomes harder and harder each year uh, just with social media and everything. Guys are just really wary of everything now, and as they probably rightfully should be. Um, as far as did a player ever tell you something on the record that you wish you didn't have to report? I, I, I don't know if it's, I wished I didn't have to report. Uh, I remember, remember when I covered St. John's basketball back in the day. This was when Mike Jarvis was covering the team. Um, and they were being investigated by the NCAA. Um, and that was just an ongoing daily story of trying to dig and find out what was going on. And, I, you know, this was 20 years ago, so I can't remember all the circumstances, but I do know that they, they had a power forward center on the team, Anthony Glover, who uh, I, I thought was a really good dude. I mean, he was putting himself through, uh, through college. I think he had already, you know, he had a daughter or son, I, I forget which one, but he was trying to raise a young child, and he was just generally a hardworking, you know, good dude, put his head down, and I remember uh, one of my sources on the, uh, on the, uh, on that investigation mentioned to me that, yeah, you know, now they're looking into Anthony Glover, too, and I, I had to report that, and, you know, I sort of felt bad about that, because, like I said, I, I thought Anthony was a good kid who was trying to do 
a lot of the right things and he kind of got sucked into that whole mess um which eventually really came to nothing anyway but uh um that, that that's one thing that comes to my mind um Clarence Screaming Buffalo Swamp Town says, and God, I, I love some of these names. They're hysterical. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I must be boring because I'm just, you know, A Gross Newsday or, you know, I used to be A Gross Record and, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just boring old me and you guys are like Screaming Buffalo and Dumma Flatch and <laughs> it must mean something to you. Um, let's see. Uh, so Screaming Buffalo says, uh, no matter how many minutes he disappears on the ice and no matter how many mistakes he makes, why is Josh Bailey never, and that was in all caps, a healthy scratch? And, well, uh, he scored tonight. Uh, I think it was uh, tonight uh, in Tampa, as I referenced that. Um, that was first goal in 10 games. And what it comes down to is, uh, first of all, uh, you know, they sort of need Josh Bailey. If we're talking about, you know, all this scoring that you you guys don't think they have in the lineup, then you know scratching Josh Bailey doesn't make any sense. And and two, I mean, you know Barry just goes back. You, know, you hear people talking about hockey IQ, and uh, you know Josh Bailey just has a high hockey IQ, and that that can be separate from some on ice mistakes because mistakes happen in hockey, but. Uh, you know, Barry really likes Josh's presence on ice because he, he just thinks he thinks the game really well and and that is good for the team. So I don't see Josh Bailey being a healthy scratch. Let's see. And then Kevin Scott, uh, we'll finish with this, says, does Brock Nelson understand that the fans love him and the term Brocktober is not meant as an insult because I heard an interview with Brock where he seemed to be bothered by it. Um, I don't know what interview you're talking about. Um, I mean, the, the guys in the room talk about Brocktober as well, and the coach brings it up. He said now it's, you know, extended into November. So I, I don't think he's insulted by it. And I, I, I talking to Brock, yeah, he appreciates the fans. You know, he really does. And most, all these guys really do. I think, and again, I didn't hear this interview, what my supposition would be is that Brock Nelson's goal is not to just be good in October. It's to be good consistently throughout the whole season. And, and maybe, you know, again, I didn't hear the interview. Maybe Brock thought it was being brought up because he was not good the the other months that 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 would be my my only guess there but uh yes Brock Nelson uh, understands that the fans love him and Brocktober is not an insult and uh and that is it for Andrew's answers that is it for episode 11 of the Island Ice podcast thank you so much for sticking with us and uh if you haven't subscribed already you know Hopefully you know where to find us. We're on the Newsday website, newsday.com backslash sports. We also have a full Islanders page there. You can get all the uh, archived Islanders stories. Uh, the podcast is on SoundCloud. It's on Apple. It's on Google. It's on Spotify. Uh, just taking over the world, one one listener at a time. But uh, uh, thank you so much. And um I'm Andrew Gross. You can find me on Twitter at agrossnewsday. And I will be back with another episode next week. And I'll be at the rink all the time, uh, every day, or something like that. But in the meantime, happy hockey, everyone. Thanks so much.